Hello, and welcome to the OMR Podcast International. I'm your host, Scott Peterson, International Content Developer at OMR. Today, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be joined by Nobel Peace Prize laureate Mohammed Yunus and Zaskia Broyston. They are co-founders and CEOs of Yunus Social Business, a social business initiative aimed at harnessing the power of finance to end poverty and combat climate change. Skeptical? It's okay. I had my questions too. But after speaking to both of them, I can say that at the very least, I see the vision and the pathways for it to happen. We spoke about those pathways, what it takes to sensitize and convince businesses to engage in such an endeavor. We also discussed what it actually means to be a social business, how yogurt manufacturer Dannon is a blueprint of sorts for the model. And of course, we talked about how Professor Yunus got started in social business and how Zaskia came into the fray as well. All of that and more in this very special episode of the OMR podcast. Enjoy. Buzz. I am right now thrilled to be joined by Professor Mohammed Yunus and Zaskia Broyston. Thank you, the two of you, for joining me. Welcome to the Omar Podcast. How are we doing today? Doing fine. Thank you very much for inviting us. Doing great. Summer is finally with us, and it's hot. It is indeed warm. It's burning things away. Horrible, yes. horrible things. Yesterday, saying in the news. Yeah, it's a, an impressive heat wave, to say the least. Yeah. Um, uh, with us, <laughs> indeed. Um, what the? I think the first place I'd like to start with is a little bit with you, uh, Professor Yunus. Um, you have an incredibly interesting resume. You're a banker, economist, social entrepreneur, professor, academic, chancellor. Uh, written numerous books on social finance. A member of the United Nations Foundation, uh, and you uh, won the 2006 Nobel Peace Prize for your work with Grameen Bank. Um, and currently, you and uh, Zaskia are working at Unis Social Business, whose mission it is, among other things, to uh, to use business and entrepreneurial thinking to end poverty and other meta issues facing the world. Um, I think for this, the purposes of this conversation, I, I would like to start with a def definition of what social business is and what it isn't. Okay, uh, let me try and Saskia may join in. We, we know what's business. Everybody will answer right away, business to make money. Uh, you sell a, a product, a service, and get paid, and on top of it, you have a profit. And the goal of any business is maximization of profits. So that's the direction you want to move. So that's fine. Everybody understands that one. Uh, so business is identified as profit-maximizing uh, mission. And then the other kind of uh, activity, which we call charity, where mm -hmm. you give away. In, in business, you make money by investing money uh, and maximize it. Uh, in charity, you give away to solve people's problems, uh, healthcare, uh, food, hunger, mm -hmm. housing, you name it. These are charity issues. So there you put the money to help people to overcome this problem, but you never get your money back. What we are saying that there could be another option in between. A business which aims only in solving people's problems without any intention of making personal money out of it. Like in charity, you don't ask money for yourself. So in this business, you don't ask any profit for yourself, but you want your investment money to come back so that you become sustainable. And that's what we are calling social business. It's okay. 
a dividend company to solve human problems. Uh, so the goal is to solve human problems, getting it, get the money paid back, but no intention of uh, making personal profit out of it. So this is what uh, kind of disconnect us from the chasing of uh, profit, mm-hmm. where sometimes chasing of profit kind of uh, uh, dis- dislocate us into the direction where it may be harmful to people. So this is this is what we want to avoid. So uh, so social business, in a way, we define in non-dividend company talks to solve human problems. It's in between charity mm-hmm. and uh, conventional business, but it is a business in the sense that it it sells something. It sells a product, a service, or a product. Okay, but the primary goal is to achieve an impact that is not uh, monetary uh, in value. It is something more tangible. Correct. It's a, it's a monetary in value, definitely. Like we provide healthcare, so we have a healthcare service. You mm-hmm. have a social business uh, hospital. You come there, get treatment, and so on. You pay for it. Uh, but the intention of the hospital is to give your uh, health services, not to make uh, generate profit for any owners. So it covers the cost. It's a self-sustaining hospital, mm-hmm. which doesn't give any dividend to any shareholders. Uh, all the extra money that they have is recycled into the business itself. It doesn't go outside. So that's the idea of social business. It's a business because it sells something mm-hmm. and it has covered all the payment and so on. If you have a surplus, it's paid, it's a, a kind of rolled back into the business itself without passing it out to the owners. Okay. Um and where um, where did your passion? Maybe I'll start with you. Zaskia, so, uh, where did where did your passion for for social business, for becoming active in social business in that sphere, come from? Because your background, you you have a very illustrious background as well. You uh, have won numerous awards from the Handelsblatt. Uh, you're a member of the Young's Presidents Organization. You graduated from London School of Economics. That is very. You, that is the path you would go to be in the conventional uh, business profit driven driven mold. How did how did you get into the social business aspect? Absolutely. And I think the story goes, I was on a very conventional path. I then, after business school, went to BCG, um, focused on yeah, helping make more money for large corporations. And I had an aha moment when um, doing another master's later on at London School of Economics, London School of Economics, where Professor Yunus came and spoke. And he talked about the idea of social business. So 100% mm-hmm. a business is 100% focused on solving social problems. And it just made so much sense to me suddenly because I kind of didn't really feel comfortable with my business background to do mm-hmm. something in the NGO world or in government because they always seemed like these massive structures that were very dry and like boring and slow. Mm-hmm. And when he said, oh my God, you can solve social problems, but in a business way, I was like, that makes so much sense. That combination is so great. And that was the eye-opener for me. And that's been my passion now for the last, let's say, 14 years. I mean, we met in 2008 um, and that's what I've been following since then. And I just think that uh, the economy or business is the strongest force that we have in society. Mm -hmm. And and if we have these massive problems in the world, like poverty, unemployment, climate change, et cetera, business is going to be the driver that's going to make that difference. Um. Okay, so you guys met in 2008. Uh, the uh, Unis Social Business as a company, as an entity, you both launched in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, but the the genesis for the for the company itself goes back quite a bit further. It, Professor Yunus, you've dedicated your entire life uh, in different realms uh, as an academic and a social uh, entrepreneur to 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 social business topics from micro lending and microfinancing. Um, I'm just curious as to when you started down this path on the entrepreneurial side in the early '80s with Grameen, um, what what was your initial motivation? for launching that endeavor and how has that kind of evolved over time into Eunice, uh, the social business entrepreneur and company that you are uh, leading now? Yeah, well, that's what brings back uh, you and me together. Uh, uh, you were in uh, <laughs> uh, Middle Tennessee State University. I was. I was teaching at that time, early 70s, uh, late 60s and early 70s. And in the meantime, Bangladesh became an independent country after a terrible, terrible liberation war. Mm -hmm. People gave their lives and lots of destruction and so on. I immediately resigned from my job in January of 1972. And I want to go home, mm -hmm. back to my country, see after all this devastation, if it can be of some help in some way, useful to the nation. So I came back to Bangladesh and started teaching in one of the universities, newly Born University, Chittagong University. Mm -hmm. I became the head of the Department of Economics, which I was teaching in Middle Tennessee State University also. Uh, I was full of enthusiasm. Now I can do something concrete for people. But then I see all those enthusiasm apart. I see lots of uh, poverty uh, extended into a famine. People are dying of hunger. Uh, you can see dead bodies on your roads, uh, dead bodies in your sidewalks. Uh, you wonder, what is this economics is all about? If people have to die like this, mm -hmm. economics has meaning, because I don't have any ability to help them. So I was wondering what I have learned in economics, how I can make myself useful to people in a situation like that. And I saw nothing that I can do. So I put all the blame to the subject that I learned. I said, oh, I wasted my time learning economics. Uh, it doesn't help me in any way. So I thought uh, I should not teach this subject at all uh, to my students. So while I was fuming inside of me, I was thinking, can I find something to make myself useful to other people? So one idea came, why don't I go to the village next door to the university campus? There's a plenty of uh, poverty. Every single household is in poor situation. Mm -hmm. So see if I can do something for them, even for one person. I can't solve the problem of the whole village, but definitely I have the capacity to do something to help one single person. So my ambition was to see if I can make myself useful to one person. So I started doing that. Every day I go there I spend lots of time with them, getting familiar. And I did little things for this, little thing, thing for the other. And in the process, I learned a lot of things about the village, including loan sharking. So I tried to see if I can protect the victims of the loan shark. Uh -huh. I did came to my mind, why don't I lend the money myself? If I lend the money, uh, the person who received my money would not be a victim of loan shark. So I've saved that person. So I started lending money. I have plenty of money coming back from uh, Tennessee, uh, State, Middle Tennessee State University. Mm -hmm. So I started lending this money to the poor people in the village. And this is what later on became known as microcredit. And I created a bank called Grameen Bank, focusing on lending money to the poor people without collateral, uh, without any kind of legal obligations. Uh -huh. That's it what I and how how big, how, uh, how small are we talking about? What are, the, what are the amounts of these microtransactions? 
Uh, in the beginning, it was as small as $2, $5, $10, $100. That's about it. Uh, that's big money for them. Sure. Uh, but later on, as we grew, the money demand became larger because they become more uh, involved in the businesses and so on. Mm-hmm. Even today, I would say typical Grameen Bank loan after 50 years uh, would be $10,000. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's that's incredible. Um, it was um, one of the other things that uh, also I thought was fascinating about um, Grameen was that it wasn't only a pioneer in microfinance, but also in gender equity in a lot of ways because of the people that you would loan money to um, going a very non-conventional route. Um, the majority of people that receive loans from banks are men. The majority of people that run banks are men. And the majority of people that you were loaning to were women and women of color at that. And they also ended up that they are now in charge of the bank in its entirety, correct? Absolutely. So what we did, it's not only lending money to poor people, small amount of money that they can afford to pay back. Uh, in the process, we challenged all the rules of the banking system. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, what we did when we created the bank, uh, it was the reverse part of the rules that the banking system follows. So banking system follows the rule that they go to the rich. The richer you are, more attractive you are because they make money from you. Mm-hmm. We reversed it. We said, we go to the poor. Poorest you are, more attractive you are because that's our mission. We want to help you and to be assistant here. So we reversed that principle. Uh, they go to men. Uh, at that time in Bangladesh, 99% of the borrowers of banks are men, only 1% women. I said, that's absolutely wrong. So we reverse it. We make 99% women, 1% men. So we focused on women. Even today, after 50 years, uh, 97% of the borrowers of Grameen Bank are women. Uh, and they own the bank. Banks mm-hmm. are owned by rich people. We made uh, and rich men. And we reversed that. We made Grameen Bank owned by poorest people. And the, the, on the boat, they are the women, poorest women. Uh, conventional banks w- want collateral. We said, forget about collateral. No There's collateral in this business. So almost everything we reverse. And conventional banks say that you have to come to our premises to b- do business with us. We come to your op- our branch office or whatever office. Yeah. We said, no, people should not go to banks. Banks should go to people. So we make a banking system where banking service is done at the doorstep of the borrowers. And still we do that. We have Grameen America, in case you want to know. This uh, works in 31 cities in the United States. Okay. Lends up nearly 200 thousand uh, women, uh, 100% women in the United States. Uh, le- they have just uh, reached $3 billion in loan with nearly 99% recovery in all of the United States. That is incredible to say the least. Um, and uh, so when so this, this is the background, this is how we're getting up to to the YSB, to Unisocial Business as it is today. Um, but when the two of you met, Zaskia, what was was this uh, more of an idea of yours to launch Unis Social Business? Was this something where you saw enough synergies between the two of your missions to actually launch the the business in this form? How did that process come about? That's a great question. I mean, uh, Professor Yunus just talked about how his motivation was really seeing people die on the streets in Bangladesh. And, you know, I come from a country, Germany, I'm half German, half Canadian, uh, where you don't see that type of poverty. Um, I, you know, come in that sense from a from a middle class family in Germany. Um, 
I, of course, had a global outlook since my mom was Canadian, but I didn't, I hadn't seen that um, until my, let's say, early 20s. Um, when I was studying in Argentina, um, and that was during the financial crisis that hit there in 2001, where for the first time I actually saw what it looks like when people from one day to another uh, lose all of their income. In this case, it was because whatever the peso was depegged from the from the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, I then later traveled to India to various African countries, and I think that was the first time that I realized that like the life that I had lived was not the normal life. And so I think that was then my motivation over time that I realized something is wrong with our economic system. And 2008 was the year when I met Professor Yunus, where I started asking myself also these questions. You know, I'm helping all these consumer goods companies uh, in my consulting job to, you know, make more money. Um, And at the same time, it didn't make sense to me when I saw like the world was not so, you know, rosy as I had actually experienced as a child. And um, and that's when also the financial crisis started in 2008, 2009. And all those assumptions that we had, like, you know, the homo economicos, it's all about you know, maximization of uh, utility for, for the individual, etc. Those came into question for, for me. And and so long story short, when I heard Yuno speak and there was this aha moment, I just thought this is a concept. Social business is a concept that needs to be spread. Um, we actually started working together. Um, so basically, I wrote him an email. He answered, la, 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 la. Long story short, I flew to Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when we started collaborating and getting some large corporates, some of them who were also eventually, uh, previously clients of mine. We got some of those corporates to actually say, can you not create social businesses? Um, the very first one that Professor Yunus had um, already created before I got on board was a joint venture with Danon, the yogurt company, to produce mm-hmm. Uh, yogurt that's enriched with micronutrients to combat malnutrition. We then, the first thing that I was involved in was a joint venture with BSF, the chemical company, to produce treated mosquito nets um, against malaria and dengue fever. Um, And that's really how we started working together. Um, And then eventually, um, I think, I don't really know from whom it came, but it was in one of those conversations where I said, Professor Yunus, would you also be interested in doing stuff outside of Bangladesh? Because until then, like what I had been involved in was all in Bangladesh. And he said, of course, this is a global topic. This has to be mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, and so that's where the idea came up to build, you know, social business with the intention to take the successful models that had already worked in Bangladesh at a significant scale to other countries. Um, and just to put one more thing into context, so Brameen Bank was the first social business that Professor Yunus has created. And microfinance as this first model has actually spread around the world. Unfortunately, not all in the social business format, some of them also more commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, he had created many, many more social businesses in healthcare, in unemployment, etc. And we thought those models need to go to other countries. And that was the intention of Uno Social Business at the beginning. Um, yeah, and that's what now we've been doing, focusing on social business, not the microfinance arm so much, but on social mm-hmm. business and um, bringing it to many other countries. And that's, that's what we um, are working on still today. And if I'm not mistaken, at uh, YSB, you employ uh, kind of a two-tiered approach, so bottom-up and a top-down. So you are still combining like what the a lot of what Grameen was all about, like with you know taking the bank to the doorstep kind of of people, and also then approaching these larger established companies. Um, could you kind of walk me through? We've we've touched on them, but uh, walk me through like the two the specifics of these two angles and kind of like where they overlap and and where they kind of come together. 
Absolutely. So I think the the bottom-up approach is that we actually help local entrepreneurs in India, East Africa, and in Latin America to build social businesses. And we do that by actually financing them. So we provide Mm -hmm. them loans. You could call it venture debt or whatever you want to call it. uh, between around about 100000 up to a half a million dollars for them to build their social businesses. And then we also support them, like any venture capitalist in that sense, in growing their impact. Um, we don't grow their profit. We grow, like the profit has to be grown to create more impact, but we don't care about that major exit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what we're about. So that's kind of the one business. Um, and then the other side is um, that we actually you know, chat to large corporations and say, um, only if you, like the big part of the economy is also going to change, will we really see a fundamental change in our economy for the better? So dear corporation, how can we apply those principles of social business to your core business? How can we use what you're already good at, like in the case of Danan earlier, Mm -hmm. yogurt to solve a real problem rather than to just, you know, create another yogurt that has I don't know, sprinkles on top, like a fancy packaging that really sure. and no one needs. And so right. that's basically how we work with those big corporates. We help them build new social businesses, A, and B, we help them to connect to social businesses. So for example, what we call social procurement, we help them to, we help corporations to improve their, what we call ESG footprint by buying from social businesses and thereby improving their social impact in total. I okay. hope that that's clear, but I can get into more practical examples. It is pretty clear. I do have a couple of questions, though. Um, maybe, uh, Professor Eunice, you could also like tell me, um, when you are, uh, I, it totally makes sense when the bank is coming to the doorstep, why that's attractive um, for the, the people that are otherwise excluded from the financial process that are deemed uh, not worthy of credit from banks. Uh, that part obviously makes perfect sense. It seems like it would be a much harder pitch to profit-driven companies um, when they are, you know, they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, you know, they come from this profit motive where they only see things in terms of revenue and bottom line. I've just, heard that sentence too often, the fiduciary duty. <laughs> ex- exactly. Uh, but that's that's what I'm curious about is how do you overcome that? Like, because these people are coming from a different, these people, I didn't mean it pejoratively. Very but simple, very simple. It's not difficult the way you're thinking. Uh, we just uh, see that the, that company has a, a foundation. Uh-huh. Companies have their own foundation. Look, you have already created a foundation. You give away money. So this is nothing new. We said you don't give away money, we invest money. So as a businessman, you should understand this better. So that your money rolls rather than disappears. In foundation, you keep giving money and disappears. You fresh bring fresh money, it disappears. And okay. there's a good job. I'm not complaining about that. But your charity money in the through foundation has only one life. You can use it once. Because if money goes, it never comes back. That was the purpose of charity. Uh, I said, you can make it that way. Social business investment. You create a business to solve the same problem. It may be health problem. It may be water problem. Where you invest the money, money grows. They pay the money to buy the water, but you mm-hmm. don't want to pay profit. Get the price as low as the cost of production so that they, you cover the cost and you keep running. So I said, social business money has endless life. It comes back again and again and again. So why don't you try to use your foundation? to create a social business and experiment with it. See whether, we are not saying remove your whole, uh, uh, transform your whole company. They will get very scared of that. So we start with saying this. And personally, they become interested. Company uh-huh. may have foundation. Many of the shareholders have their own family foundations. 
They said, well, you can start with the Family Foundation, try it out. So this is where we go. Everybody wants to do something good, but the system doesn't allow them. System gave them the only two options, either charity or profit maximization. We are giving a third option. Charity maximization and perpetual, and where it's just kind of like a snowball effect, as long as it, over time, it kind of gains in volume, but you can't remove anything from it because then it'll lose. It's Like we did, uh, just to give an example, exactly what you said, (laughs) we created an eye care hospital in the remote village because uh, they cannot come to the city, afford all the money to come to this. So Mm -hmm. we bring the whole hospital to you, create a social business eye care hospital. And exactly the same principle, we want to charge you the fee to cover the cost. And cost means, uh, to clarify, cost uh, capital investment also, not just uh, salaries and so on. So as you pay back, as you start paying back, it's much less than what you spend in the city with the doctors and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's right next to your village, so you have very comfortable uh, uh, situation. And we earn enough money because you are getting the investment money back. Then within three years, four years, you get enough money to pay back the entire cost of investment. So you invest this money to have the second uh, uh, eye care hospital. Now we have four eye care hospitals with the same money rolling back and forth. Now that we have four, uh, we can have uh, eye care hospital almost every year because all the money that is coming out, investment money, we collect them. We invest. So it's rolls. Same mm-hmm. money rolling over, continue to do that, and you're serving people. That's a that's an example of what social business is and how powerful it is. But, but perhaps just to add, if I may, um, you know, you heard Professor Yuna saying, Oh, let's start with a foundation, right? Let's tell the corporates, let's start with a foundation. This is why he's such a great salesperson for the idea of social business, because he meets people where it's easy for them to say yes. Because in indeed, there they're already giving the money away. And what we've seen is that's where we have often entered, particularly now 10 years ago, we've entered through the philanthropic or charitable arm of a company. But then we come inside and we sneak inside of that corporation. And then the people get excited and they get infected by the whole, what we call the the social business virus. And eventually, actually, those companies do make additional steps and they do change over time. So the example of Danone, I mean, they came in in some ways, oh, I want to do something social. Well, then basically uh, we convinced them or Professor Yunus convinced them back then to create that joint venture with us to start Mm -hmm. that social business. Later on, they decided, well, we want to do more of that. So they created a social business fund to actually invest in more of those types of companies that are close to what they do, namely water and also um, food. And then over time, they actually really adapted the way their overall business model is. So the, the question of like how you... Um, how the business actually, um, what the impact of society, or let's say what impact the business has on society is now the beginning point for any strategy process. And the whole global strategy is actually aligned with the sustainable development goals of the UN mm-hmm. and many, many additional things. So they have actually, this thing that we started with them now, whatever, 15 years ago, has been something that has really slowly but surely infected the whole corporate culture and has changed the way that they do their business. And in the end, of course, that's our end goal. We say, oh, we're not, we're doing something sweet and small on the side. In the end, our goal is, of course, that we want to change the whole economy. But, you know, you need to like find your way in and, and, and thereby convince people. And I'll say one other thing, another kind of low hanging fruit that we see these days is the social procurement that I just started talking about. A number of companies, including SAP, IKEA, Unilever, et cetera, have now made significant commitments towards what we call social procurement. And what that means is um, uh, corporate procurement um, from social businesses. 
Why is this so relevant? Companies are spending trillions of dollars on their procurement, buying their paper, buying water, buying, I don't know, whatever else. Why not be a bit more specific on where you buy that from? Don't only focus on the cost, uh, of course, also focus on the cost, but pick a, 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 a supplier that actually in the same time employs single women, ensures that disabled people are integrated into the workspace, that people you know, from developing countries that have really difficult working conditions at least are paid a proper living wage, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the types of things that we're saying a low-hanging fruit again to big corporates. You don't have to spend a single penny more, but just tell your procurement manager to now buy let's say at least a certain percentage from social businesses and your overall, you know, ESG performance um, will go up. And that's, I think, very relevant. Well, um, so when you are pitching the, the social procurement angle, is it still, do you get a little pushback from people at times because you're still kind, I mean, even if it's only a certain percentage, like making them having to reach a certain quota, it just seems like a lot of people's instinctive nature, if they're in a corporation, the business world would be like, I'm going to take the cheapest one is like, exactly why? And so that's, that's what I just find incredibly fascinating. You, both of you are so eloquent and so engaging and compelling with your explanations that it makes perfect sense to me, but this is why it is so incredibly fascinating. Why I'm so thrilled to have you here because it just, you make it sound so simple. And if I was a business person, of course, I would just be going 100% social procurement. This is obvious. Um, <laughs> well, we don't take no for an answer. I think that... <laughs> stick to Okay. Let me put it this way. You get a little nervous because of the way we are doing it. Uh, how do we convert all those people at the time? We don't. We don't convert anybody. Uh, normally, naturally, there are people among the 100 uh, such official executives in the top Mm -hmm. There'll be one crazy guy who thinks differently. Always, there's someone. And that's all it takes. You have to find that guy yeah, or, or that person. She's the one who comes first. She's the one yeah. who comes forward. So, yeah. okay, this is what I'm looking for. Give me more ideas. I'm with you. Then we go to the next person. We said, see what she is doing, what he is doing. Maybe you can do something like that. Oh, she cannot do more than what I do. <laughs> Come with me. I'll do something. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I have ideas. All this right. is what Yes, it always needs an example and excitement and inspiration and also sense of competition. This is also a competition. Uh, if you are I can do better. That's the way it is. Okay. So this is not something as hard as you think. It's a human instinct. Yeah. There is always a soft corner for human being that I can do something by using my business model, by helping things to bring water to the people, energy to the people, renewable energy to people, housing, mm -hmm. whatever. If that helps, why not? I'll do it. I'm not doing anything extra. All I'm doing with the company policy, I'm doing absolutely with 100% with company policy. That's it. And, and to the point around competition, I fully agree. Currently, in some ways, money is a way that people that people, you know, put value, put their personal value, they hang it on money. Am I rich? Am I poor? You know, they say I'm rich. That's why I'm a great person. And we need to move to a model where people say, well, I helped so many people. That's why I'm a great person. And then basically there's a new currency that is suddenly much cooler currency. That is the one that people are going to um, assign value to. That's what we need. Right. To 
It's it's putting a, a more of a, a concrete analytic definition on impact uh, that is disconnected from the monetary gain. I the total it makes total sense. Um, I, do you um, actually um, engage in active outreach to companies, um, trying to get established organizations on board, or do they generally come to you? How does let, this work? Let me quickly mention, and then Saskia will do it third bit. Uh, my experience is uh, uh, Saskia mentioned Danone. Uh, I never heard the name Danone in my life uh, because it doesn't work in Bangladesh, so I have no reason to know who they are. Uh, but the Danone chairman, he invited me for lunch. Okay. So I said, no, I'm not going to Paris to have lunch. Uh, it's a long said, flight. You are coming to Paris anyway, whether I give you a lunch or not. I said, how come? He said, you are coming to a conference right next to Paris. Oh, I said, is it next to Paris? I didn't even know what that is. <laughs> so I guess I'm coming there. So on the way, you'll stop. You'll be passing through Paris and I'll be waiting for you in a restaurant. And we'll have lunch together and you go your way. I'll not stop you. I said, that's cut. Can be done. This is how we got introduced to each other. Okay. And very curious to know what Grameen Bank is, what social business is. And that's the bite that he got, that he said, I want to do social business. That's the beginning. And it happened. It's a long story, but it happened. He created a Grameen Danone food company in Bangladesh mm -hmm. as a social, 100% social business. Uh, and Danone name got into it. And when the, the name Danone got into it, it became a big news in every single newspaper which deals with business. Of course, Danone, yeah. And then other company comes up, said, what is Danone doing with you? I said, Danone is doing this. Is there something that we can do something like that? Of course, you can do something like that. So this is what the conversation began. Mm -hmm. McCain, McCain came and McCain wanted to do something. And McCain wanted to do the other potato business. So they waste lots of potatoes because it doesn't fit into their uh, machine. Look mm -hmm. uh, the potato, which gives the maximum number of French fries. If it is not giving maximum number of French fries, they don't buy it. Okay. They buy the big one. So we they throw away 40% of the potatoes grown in France. So they, we feel guilty that we are throwing it away. There's not enough people to buy it, eat it, and so on. It's a wastage of food. Yeah. So you gave us that. Yes, 40%. That's a crazy thing. So you gave the idea that we can do something, social business. So what we did, we created a new company to mm -hmm. buy back those uh, throwaway potatoes to make into potato soup. And the French, you know, very popular chefs, they became interested. They said, we make a special uh, recipe for the social business potato soup. So it became a popular thing because the chef says that this is a social business recipe for uh, uh, potatoes. Then they extended their business to vegetable. 30% mm -hmm. of the vegetables grown in all of Europe, 30% of the vegetables thrown away. This is sure. technically in the business known as ugly vegetable because mm -hmm. it is a cucumber which is fat on one side and thin right. on another. Nobody it's not aesthetically it. pleasing. Exactly. No, nobody no, will buy it. Nobody wants to buy the potato with a pimple. Shape, then <laughs> nobody will buy it. Yeah. So they throw it away. This is good food. So what they are doing, they buy back all those throwaway ugly food and convert it to vegetable soup. When you have a soup, you don't know what the shape was. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. So this is a, it just spread from one to another in the process to bring okay. more tech, more information, more creative ideas to do that. Yeah. Cool. So the answer is, uh, I mean, this happens to Professor Yunus. 
here and there we do have we do reach out to companies also like I do that this is less Professor Yuna's level this is more my level that I reach mm-hmm. out to companies and for that we we use you know the global business forum like whatever things like the World Economic Forum or like other business conferences where we're there and like we're seeing that 10 years ago really no one cared about these topics and if at all there was a cute little CSR department in a company that cared now we're actually realizing that these topics of social and environmental impact are really at the top of the agenda of some of the global corporations and of those CEOs. And um, so that's why suddenly, you know, when we talk about that originally 10 years ago, they said, oh, who's that crazy girl? Um, Mm -hmm. Let me see, like, whatever, if someone, again, as I said, in my CSR department, will speak to her. Now, um, you know, uh, I'm able to reach out to CEOs and have that very serious conversation around how um, they have to change their business because... Well, the world requires it, and luckily the 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 the, um, the trends have shifted. So, you know, you've heard all about this ESG investing trend, environmental, social, and governance. So, big big asset managers like BlackRock are now saying, "Well, I'm I'm going to pull out out of big corporate uh, the corporation X if you do not perform well on these right. key topics." So, it's something that is very dear to their heart these days just because the money is dictating it um, more and more. It's still not totally not enough. Something, it's a door opener to have the conversation. Um, and then you can go via the human approach that Professor Yuna spoke about earlier. Tapping into people's competitive nature is a very, very effective way of getting people to, to take action, I think. Um, uh, especially when you're talking about business types, it's it's fantastic. And even like about like the, the ugly vegetables and stuff, I mean, you have like just on the lower scale, uh, you have apps. Like in Germany, you have things like uh, Too Good To Go, where, you know, just the whole trend where people can, you know, get food for free that would otherwise go to waste and these type of things that are really just kind of taking hold. Um, Despite the fact that we're trending in the right direction, it does still seem kind of like a Sisyphus, uh, uh, just a a very uh, unthankful uh, task um, where it can be very frustrating at times because progress is probably incredibly slow moving, um, fraught with setbacks, whether it's political or like, you know, some of the things that we had just talked about, like, you know, people asking questions like why um, this goes against my my interests. is is there well, like how how do you measure success on kind of a granular uh, level? You want me to go or you go, Professor? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we measure like there's at Uno Social Business one way of measuring success, which is the social impact that we create, and at the highest level, that is how many um, products, uh, essential products or services um, have been sold to, you know, the end customers. Um, and that could be healthcare, education, um, et cetera. Uh, and the second one is how many um, higher incomes have we created um, for people in this case that are mainly um, from disadvantaged backgrounds. And then the third one is, of course, CO2 emissions reduction. Those are the three top level KPIs that we look at um, while also wanting to be financially self-sustainable. But that those are the top level KPIs that we really look at. Okay. And um, which... Just in a different way, she is talking about the, uh, the level of performance of each social businesses. I was thinking more how people are interested in the concept of social business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I measure it by saying if there's a conference on uh, economics or uh, global warming or poverty or what, somebody talking about social business. 
that's success. If more people talk about social business, giving examples of it, his or her involvement in it, I see success that is spreading. I'm not the one talking. Somebody else, I don't know, talking about it. So mm-hmm. that's a success. And I see if any teacher is teaching it in the classroom, in economics classroom, in social science classroom, in a, a technology classroom, in a business classroom, in business school, is there a course, is there a chapter that talk about social business? If they do, that's a success because I have not done it. Somebody picked it up, put it in their curriculum, and now teaching that course. Or they're offering a whole course on social business. And they're offering a whole degree on social business. Social business, MSc, social mm-hmm. business, yeah, whatever. So that's a success that it is spreading at different levels of time. I feel, feel it success when the uh, the parents, uh, the CEO of a big company sitting with the family for the breakfast or the dinner, uh, the son or the daughter talking about, uh, why aren't you involved in that? Why didn't you get involved in social business? It's not me talking. It's her, his own son, her own daughter talking about it and arguing with the parents that why you do this? Why can't you do something like this? Uh, so that's a success that conversation broke down. People being infected with a social business virus. Exactly. Virus, exactly. That's what the, uh, Asaskia mentioned. And then finally, I said many universities now creating you know, social business center at the university is a whole center involving all the departments and so on. Okay, well, that's got to be incredibly motivating then, yes. Absolutely. Right now, we have more than 100 universities, there's 102 you know, social business center centers around the world. So, and each month or each year, this number is increasing. So that's kind of success that people are responding, people are coming up and so on. Many conferences are holding social business and so on. Many competitions are done in social business, design competitions, and those are the things. That I see from my side as a success, that people are taking over the thing. I'm not the only one talking about it. Okay, that totally makes sense. Yeah, please ask it. You just said like it's an unthankful task or let's say there are also difficult moments. I mean, there are definitely difficult moments. I mean, if you look at it right now, over the last two years uh, in terms of the world poverty going up again uh, because of COVID, because of people at the bottom of the pyramid really not having, you know, the the possibilities to make and meet. I mean, hundreds of millions of people ended back in poverty in the last two years. Now we're seeing the inflation uh, spiral going up. So energy prices going up, uh, you know, food prices going up, et cetera, because of the war in, in Russia. Are these things that depress us? Absolutely. They depress me personally, definitely, and because we're also seeing the effects on our social businesses in the countries that um, I just mentioned. But in some ways, and that's why I have been, you know, so keen on social business for more than a decade now. We as an individual, what can we do as individuals? Mm-hmm. If you think about those big problems, you just get depressed and you think I can't do anything. But if you just like slowly but surely do one problem-solving business after the other you can actually have the feeling that you are doing something, that you're making a difference. And I think that's that's really important because, again, like an individual cannot do it. But if we all collectively decide to take the individual decision of taking the action of building a business, which is something that, you know, most people can do, then we can actually make a difference. And that's how, um, yeah, this has been motivating me for the last more than a decade. All right. Now, uh, I want to take a quick look ahead um, before uh, I let uh, you both get out of here. Um, 
In November of 2021, you uh, completed or released the findings from a joint research project um, conducted over about a six-month period with a variety of social entrepreneurs to identify kind of like the shortcomings and or the areas um, in need of uh, special attention throughout the social business sector. Um, I'm curious if you could share uh, maybe a, a few of those areas and maybe a couple of the the, the measures that you're implementing to to address those. Yeah, I think this was a um, was a, I think you're, you're probably referring to the whole report regarding the whole topic of social intrapreneurship. And this was um, where we um, wanted to find out why corporations are doing this to the point that you mentioned earlier. Like, how do we actually convince people or not convince people, make people to do it while, you know, the, the corporate CEO may say, but I have to follow my fiduciary duty and maximize profits. And so what we did is we did a study together with the World Economic Forum, with HSC, and also with INSEAD to actually interview over 50 corporate leaders that have been engaging in social business. Okay. So that included, you know, massive companies like the Danons, the Ikeas, the SAPs, et cetera, of this world. Um, and what did we find? Like, basically, we find out why are they doing it, despite the fact that it's not profit maximizing. And the arguments that they brought, not us, but they brought is number one, it drives innovation. Uh, if you look at your business model from the perspective of society, rather than on the perspective of profit maximization, mm -hmm. come up with whole different new insights into your business. You come up with whole different new business ideas that otherwise you wouldn't have ever had. The Danone example is perfect. Um, I mean, Danone had never made such a cheap and such a nutritious yogurt in its entire life. The researchers had just never been asked the question, make the cheapest yogurt and the most nutritious yogurt. It's always been asked, what is the beautiful cherry on top of the yogurt? How can we conserve that, et cetera? So mm -hmm. this, is, this is number one, innovation. Number two is um, really the whole topic of employee engagement and retention. Everyone talks about the war on talent. Uh, we all know that the millennials do not want to work for boring old corporates anymore. And everyone's looking for purpose. Also, especially after COVID, everyone's talking about that great, um, uh, um, I forget what the word is, but there's like, Everyone's talking about being depressed. So this is another reason why corporates are engaged in social business. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there are other topics like reputation, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the main things why they do this, apart from just the fact because they know it's the right thing to do, which is the reason why we do it and why sure. we want them to do it. But they need their arguments internally as well. All right. Uh, Professor Yunus, where do you hope... Uh, your Unis social business will be in the next five years. What what do you have benchmarks lined up for the short and medium term? Uh, I'll put it this way: I tell people, uh, frankly, that uh, uh, we have to build a new civilization before this civilization completely destroys us, because we're we are in a suicidal path. No mm -hmm. matter where you look at it. Now it's becoming more and more true because of the pandemic, because of the Ukrainian war, now because of the heat wave that is going on. Everybody's wondering what would be happening to next year. Will it be worse than this heat wave or something else? Something else will happen. Is it related to the global warming or is it just independent thing what happened? Uh, so whichever you look at it, global warming is going to destroy us completely because uh, we have not done a thing about it yet. And Ukrainian war is reversing the whole process. We are going back to the uh, sealed way, all the fossil fuel uh, sources and so on, We're opening mm -hmm. it up big way so that we can uh, sustain ourselves with the uh, oil that we needed and so on and so forth. Uh, so that is 
completely damaging the whole world and making it faster and faster. And then the second one is the problem that we created by the present civilization, meaning the institutional framework, thinking framework, business framework, all the things that we have created over years, uh, creating a extreme wealth concentration. All the wealth of the world is concentrated in few hands. You look at the USA, same thing. You look at Europe, it's the same thing. You look at the global, you can save safely 10, 10 richest countries in the world has 99% of the wealth of the entire world. The remaining countries share only 1% of the world. And tomorrow, it will be nine richest countries will own 99%. Thereafter, it will be seven countries will own the 99%. So this is the direction. And this is a suicidal direction. It will explode. It's a ticking time bomb. So before we explore, can we do something to address the whole question of wealth concentration so that we can share wealth rather than have a machine which mops up all the wealth from the bottom and pushes it to the top. That machine is the wrong machine. So we have to redesign that machine. And there we say social business can help you because that machine doesn't push anything on the top because nobody's taking any profit. So we have to redesign banking system as a social business. So the banking system is the vehicle by which all the wealth is concentrated and took it on the top. So if you can make it a social business, then you're not running after the rich people to make money. You'll be running after the people who need the money. And that's where the microcredit, that's where the universal uh, access to finance, that's when entrepreneurship starts. I said all human beings are entrepreneurs, but our wrong economic system told us to get a job. Job is a wrong idea. Job is a form of slavery. We don't need that. Human beings are creative beings. They're packed with all kinds of creative ideas and things. They are naturally social, they are naturally entrepreneurs. But you push them into surrender their entrepreneurship to become slaves, to take orders from other guys. So mm -hmm. I said, that's wrong because financial system doesn't allow these people to have access to finance. Finance is the oxygen of entrepreneurship. If you put money on the table, everybody will be entrepreneurs, no doubt about it. They're as smart as anybody else. They are not smart just because they are billionaires. They are same guys, but opportunities push them into that direction. They put the put that right kind of button and took them in the sky. So this is what the missing part of it. So third one is uh, uh, artificial intelligence, which will remove all the people from the jobs because uh, they are not needed anymore. And that's a threat. That's the most threatening thing the global, whole world will ever experience. So we want to create a new civilization to undo all these things. And I call about new civilization as a civilization creating a world of three zeros. Zero net carbon emission, zero wealth concentration, zero unemployment. And that's the three zero world that we want to create. Then you need the vehicle how to do that and social business will become the most important thing to make it happen if you want to create the world. Sure. And encouraging young people to create three zero clubs. Five young people can get together and form a three zero club. Then the purpose of the three zero club, if you remember, you make yourself commitment that I do not want to contribute to global warming. If I'm using fossil fuel seven days a week, I'll, next day I'll do it six days a week and five days a week, gradually zero days a week. And that's my commitment. And if I'm adding to the wealth concentration, I'll withdraw myself from the wealth concentration procedure and not contribute to that wealth concentration. I will not concentrate, on, I will not contribute to the unemployment. So I become a three zero person. Mm -hmm. If I become a three zero person, my club becomes three zero club and the next will be three zero families. 
and three zero cities, three zero villages, and the world will become a three zero world. And that's where that's where it starts. Thank you. All right. Well, then, um, when uh, where can people go to learn more about how to to about Unis Social Business to set up three zero clubs and to take the next step? Well. Saskia is a good point where you go and write to us. We'll be giving you all the details, all the websites, all the things. There are lots of people doing that. And all we right. have now three zero clubs in uh, 25 countries. Three zero clubs coming up. We are very happy. Young people take lots of interest in it. How do I do it? Because I, I'm hard enough from the uh, our leaders. They let them do whatever mm-hmm. they're doing. But I want to do it myself. All right. I'll be sure to put the link in the description, dear listeners. Saskia, Professor Yunus, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you.